Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm just explaining to people on Twitter how the best Dungeons & Dragons movie ever made was already made, and it was The Mummy. Yep, the uh, Brandon Fraser 90s movie. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I just it's it is the perfect Dungeons and Dragons movie. There's a lost city, there's an ancient evil buried in it, the, the hubris of adventurers releases it, they have to go fight it. I mean, you can even mo- you can model the character classes. It's it's almost one to one. Like Brendan Fraser, fighter, uh Ardeth Bay, um I should say Odin Fair if I'm gonna use the actors' names. Uh he's pl- obviously a ranger. Uh Evie is pretty solidly a uh, like a couple levels of druid. Not Druid, sorry, uh, Bard, and then the rest Rogue. Oh, yeah, 100, uh, 100% of Bard on that one. Jonathan, straight up Rogue. Um, Benny is mostly a Rogue, but he ends up picking up a level in Warlock. Um, his his patron is Imhotep. Doesn't work out well for him, doesn't get any of the cool spells, um, and ends up dead. But, you know, I definitely, that's where I go with him. Uh, Imhotep is very clearly a cleric lich, um, just straight up. It, it's not even subtle. So yeah, it's every time I watch the movie, I think that this is this is a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Why don't they just just get? Why didn't Stephen Summers get a chance to direct a Dungeons and Dragons movie? Because he's this is it. This is what it is. Like, so yeah, I mean, and well, that's that's the thing. Like we could talk about that for a whole hour on our own. I have a feeling this is going to get revisited on the pre-show of uh, the regular podcast because it is a a, a thing that I one hundred percent agree with. Um, People have this nasty tendency of thinking that D&D just has to be specifically fantasy in a far-off land in a distant magical world of dragons. Nah, not always. You can have all those elements in, as we've just seen, uh, 40s-era mummies, because that's a thing. But we're not here to talk about that, uh, as much as I'm sure you would all love it. Uh, Instead, we are here to talk about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment, uh, as it says on the tin. And today we're going to be going through some questions that you, our wonderful listeners, have sent in to us. Uh, Thank you very much for everybody who sent stuff in. Again, if you have questions for this show uh, or the other podcast, please send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, if you don't want to do an email and you are a Patreon supporter, you can hit us up on Discord. We have a Patreon uh, supporter Q questions, uh, Q and podcast questions channel. Uh, we do look there and try to give our patrons a little uh, extra time and attention. And if you don't have a Patreon or you don't want to send us an email, you still want to do the Discord thing, we do have a Q questions where we do look and actually some of these are pulled from there as well. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into some of these questions. Our first one is from Dante, a Frost Death Knight on Frostmourne. That is a very, very Death Knight name and server, sir. 
So I started listening to you guys about a month ago, and I'm only on episode 125. You guys are talking about Sargeras and the potentially, uh, and that potentially the other Titans could possibly come around to Sargeras's idea and see there is no possible way to fix everything. And simply a factor reset must, or factory reset, I assume that's what he meant there, must be done. My question is, if Blizzard ever wanted to make a WoW 2, do you think they would go with that idea where Sargeras somehow convinces the Titans that there is no other way and they let him loose? I think it would be interesting simply because this could start a fully new and fresh game with new lore or even potentially old lore leaking through etc i look forward to catching up and possibly hearing your thoughts on the idea much love dante uh i we've been asked stuff like this in the past i don't think we ever really spent a whole lot of time on it but the idea of a wow 2 is sort of a weird thing right now because wow is still good um or at least still popular enough to remain around. You generally don't see them wanting to create their own competition, right? Um, also, I'm going to put this out to you. They did war- WoW 2. It okay. was called the Burning Crusade. <laughs> and then they did WoW 3 and WoW 4 and WoW 5. And we're up to like WoW, I don't know, 9, 10? They've, done, they've literally reinvented this game every time they've done a major patch. And then, if you don't consider that to be WoW 2... They then re-released the original game and are now putting out an expansion for that. So there is now currently two World of Warcrafts running simultaneously. I don't know how much two-year you're going to get. Um, <laughs> but at I've- some point, you have to accept that they've already done this thing. They just didn't do it the way you were expecting. And here's the thing. They're never going to do it the way you were expecting. And here's why. EverQuest 2. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, go go for it. Yeah. EverQuest 2 is the 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 haunting specter that that is the nightmare for everybody who's got a big successful game with a lot of people still playing it and decides they want to put out another game it they look at that and they say what but the player base it it is a it is a recipe to split your player base it is a recipe to lose people it's the best time to quit something like an mmo is when something like that happens it's it's giving you permission to go away they don't want to do that. They don't want to tacitly give you permission because none of your character stuff carries over to the new game, right? You know, it's a new game. It's a fresh start, all new characters. And therefore, since none of the stuff you did carries over, it's tacit permission to stop. Yeah. Now, we're just going to this. This is not a lore question at this point. So I'm going to move it to lore now because I feel like this is a question we may have to move and talk about on the, I, on the I other podcast. I think but. we can revisit it from the technical aspects or non lore aspects of it yeah. on the next one. But yes, from a lore perspective, um, could they, if they decided they were going to kill their own MMO in this way, uh, they, they certainly could go with this approach, but I don't think that they want to do that because they, if you look at comic books, one of the bigger two, the big two comic book companies, one of them is is got a problem with what they call continuity. That company is Detective Comics, DC Comics. They're the guys who own Batman and Superman, the, the, the most famous superheroes. And the problem they have with getting new readers is nobody has the slightest idea what the heck is going on in their comics anymore. Yeah, they have no clue where to start. Like, it's where do yeah. you pick, where do you pick up to begin your journey when you have eight different Batman titles? Which one's the real one? And it's, it's one thing, the way Marvel has done it over the years has its issues. There are problems with the Marvel approach to comic books. But it's very clear that not having a restart, not coming along and rebooting your continuity, but just kind of picking and choosing what you consider, what you focus on at the moment, is allows for more sustainability of your line. It allows you to keep these things going. You don't ever have to come along and explain, well, this was before this happened and it reset everything. Like, imagine having Sargeras come along and destroy the universe, and now we've got WoW 2 in a completely new universe. Look at how confused people were about the Warcraft movie. Look how confused people were about Warlords of Draenor. Yes. And that, and that was just an alternate timeline. It didn't erase anything you'd ever done. It just was like another place where different... You don't want to do this. It, it is, it is a very now, complicated road you're 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 opening the door to. If you just wipe out all of the established lore and now we can do anything you want, the problem is is the people remember the old stuff, especially when it carries the name World of Warcraft, right? Like, so here's here's sort of my take on it. The idea of Sargeras, you know, convincing the other Titans that he's right, and then 
that becomes this big catastrophic event. That's not a terrible idea, but it's not an idea for a reset or a launch into WoW 2. I think it's more of an idea of if the servers were ever to go dark, if World of Warcraft was ever going to be sunset, like the game was going offline because they were done or the the game wasn't, you know, making ends meet anymore or the company was moving away for or whatever the reason is. I think something like that would make more logical sense as an end of the universe and end of the game type thing. And because that's exactly what Sargeras was trying to do, which is burn everything down, start over again without that creeping infection of void. So maybe it becomes one of those events. And it's not unheard of. A lot of the games, a lot of the MMOs that have come before this uh, that have shuttered their servers, uh, City of Heroes and City of Villains, uh, I don't know if EverQuest ever did it, but the original Star Wars MMO, uh, they all had like these big events to commemorate like the end of that particular era to sort of give what players that they had that stuck around with them for that long one final send off one final hurrah one final moment of uh triumph or defeat or or whatever you want to call it before everything was pulled and before the servers went offline now if wow ever got to that point and i seriously hope it doesn't because i'm you know i still like the game um that could be something that I could see them working as maybe that's their end of world event is that the lights of the universe go out one by one as a newly converted pantheon starts going planet to planet and cleansing the universe for a reset. Like I could see something like that and having like a big epic last stand moment on Azeroth. And then when everything's over, that's it. But again, like it's, I don't think it would be good for a, jumping point into a whole nother world of Warcraft, because like Matt said, it's the memory of everything that came beforehand. And if you're going to do something completely new, why not just do something completely new? If that makes sense. So, but yeah, I, and, and I think Matt raised a really good point too, with the expansions, I think in a lot of ways that sort of accomplishes that brand new game every single time, even though it's got the continuous story that threads through it in some capacity right now, we're in brand new territory. Like I would think that, uh, Shadowlands is a really great example of something that feels completely new. Like the story that we're going through, the places we're going, the NPCs we are interacting with are brand new lore. These are things that we haven't seen before. And it didn't necessarily need a Titan to, you know, split Azeroth in half to get us there. It was a catastrophic event, but they still got us to a new point. And that's sort of the interesting thing about this game as it is, is they figured out how to keep giving us new things without having to erase everything else. If anything, I would say the problem that World of Warcraft has always had in regards to lore and the introduction of lore and story is that they simply cannot produce it fast enough. Yeah. Um, and there are other problems. Like I've, I've gone at length about my issues with Battle for Azeroth's narrative, uh, and I don't think it needs to be repeated. But you know, you're never going to love everything anybody does. No creative, no creative team is always going to make stuff you you absolutely fall head over heels for. I've had ups and downs with Wild Story since the beginning. Um, I think uh, the Burning Crusade was for me a story high point, but it also took forever. It felt like it felt like, and I'll say this: the, the Burning Crusade feels like it comes to a natural endpoint, and then there's another raid tear. Like, sorry, Sunwell does not feel like the natural endpoint of the Burning Crusade. Mm-hmm. It's, it's. I like it, but it's, it's very strange. It feels like an afterthought. It's like, why is this here? Oh, because we don't have the new expansion yet, and we need to keep going. It's how it feels to me, and that's. But everybody has opinions. Everybody, but for me, that has never been the major problem with World of Warcraft as a storytelling vehicle. The problem is, is we simply consume content faster than they can make it. Yep, and and we always have. If you, there's a point where they were trying, they were trying desperately to gear up to the point where they could produce an expansion every year, and they could not do it, and they have never been able to do it. it and they just finally realized, I think a few years back, I think around the time Legion came out, they realized, no, the best we're going to do is one every two years. And honestly, and, and that's fine as long as they know what to plan for, right? Like then this. Whether or not it's fine, the the problem is is that to say okay now scrap everything yeah. and hit a reset button. I mean, one of the things that keeps this game going is the fact that it has this huge engine of established lore that they can draw on. Telling them that we're now in a new space where everything is different, and now Arthas stays a good guy the whole time, and now it's uh, you know 
it's uh, Varian Rin who becomes the Lich King. It just you, and it, it, the problem when you do a reset like that. If you go again, I'm going to use the DC Comics analogy, and then I'll let Joe go. Um, the problem with doing a reset is when you do dabble with continuity, the temptation to change things just to change them, yeah, becomes overwhelming. If you look at the New Fifty Two when DC did that. They deliberately threw out everything they had published up to 2012 and like, okay, now it's a new universe where now we've got Superman and Lois are just friends and Superman's in love with Wonder Woman. And whether or not you like that relationship or not, it just tossed away the entire established characterization that they had built up for the character since the Crisis on Infinite Earths event. They just threw out 20, 25 years of comics. And now- doing, doing that with World of Warcraft, it, it always seems to end up polarizing your fan base more than it helps. But now Joe's going to go. I was just going to say, and it's not to say that ideas like this don't work. In some cases, they do. And the best example I've seen of this is actually not even a video game. It's not even a role-playing game. It's a tabletop war game. And some folks will remember Warhammer Fantasy from way back in the day, or just Warhammer, as it was called. It was the premier game for Games Workshop, and the story has been around for a very, very long time, until several years ago, where they decided that the player base was just not there anymore. It wasn't popular anymore. The story had become too large and convoluted, and nobody cared. So they scrapped everything with a huge world event, uh, The basically the end times that destroyed everything, blew everything up, and now we have the Shattered Realms. And that was their vehicle to make that game more popular again by streamlining the story, by bringing everything back in, and doing exactly what you're talking about here, Dante, which is like they take little pieces of the previous lore of the characters and reinvent them just enough uh, or tell just a slightly different story, and it works for them there. But WoW doesn't need to do that, and that's sort of the big thing, is that WoW is in a place where until it gets to a point where the game is dying, such drastic measures aren't even necessarily need to be on the table. Another example from from like recent media is the the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. Mm -hmm. And I've written before about them. I think the J.J. Abrams Star Trek universe is really interesting. I've I've got no problem with it. I like it. But look at how the fan base reacted to it. When you pull that trigger, you have to be at it. There's an old saying, if you come for the king, you best not miss. And when it comes to the big stories of these uh, these overarching franchises, these established things. You don't miss. If you if you miss, then you get a mess. I think the Warhammer example is a really good one of when they didn't have anything to lose. It's like things are already about as bad as they're going to get because you have to look at the at the game you're 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 changing. Warhammer, especially the tabletop version of Warhammer, is a big investment. It's it's a lot of money to get all those minis and paint them and do all that stuff. Making it easier for people to get into it is absolutely crucial. But World of Warcraft is already real easy to get into. Like you can start it now, and the same the cash outlay is exactly the same. It's not like it becomes more expensive, you know, for long term people or anything like that. There's a different a different method here. It doesn't mean now. I I want to separate this. And Joe was afraid we wouldn't have anything to talk about today's <laughs> show. And we've been on this question for like quite a while now. So you know. <laughs> Don't worry so much, I guess. Uh, but I, I think the idea of Sargeras convincing the Titans that he was right is a good story idea. Like you could do yeah. a lot of cool things with that. I want to separate my antipathy for the idea of restarting WoW from, from the, the root idea. of the idea. Yeah, because yeah. the idea itself is good. That's a really cool idea. Imagine, you know, war amongst the Titans. Like some of the Titans are like, no. And some of them are like, yeah, he's right. Or, you know... There's so much. What if the Titans got Sargeras on board with them? What if it was them that reached out to him? They're like, look, the Void Lords are coming. We need your help. And he's like, all right, put me in charge. And there's so many different ways you could do this. And they're all cool and interesting. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that the idea of starting a fully new and fresh game, you have to be real sure you need to do that to do it. Yeah. Um, if you look at, for instance, there's a... Uh, to, to use another example of, of another movie that's coming out, the movie The Suicide Squad's coming out. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for it. Looks really interesting. I was actually, I really liked the the trailer I saw for it. And uh, the thing about it is, it's it takes that kind of approach where it's not a reboot. The, the previous movie happened, and they accept that it happened, but they are kind of ignoring it at the same time. Which is and great for even, that. Which is great for that IP because it doesn't matter. That's how yeah, the and, story is set up to do. 
but more importantly, it doesn't make them redo the origin again. Mm-hmm. The problem with doing like what you're talking about, that one of the lore issues of it is, it, it's the same problem they had with the Spider-Man movies, where they kept restarting the Spider-Man movies, and so we got Spider-Man's origin again. We all know Spider-Man's origin. We do not need to see it again. That's one of the things, like when they did Man of Steel, I kept thinking to myself, do we need to see that he's from Krypton? Couldn't we have just done a movie where he's Superman already? Do we need to establish where Superman is from? It, it's not like it's the Marvel movies where nobody had seen a Captain America film before, except the terrible one. It's not like the uh, Iron Man. You, sure, you need to see his origin. Nobody knows who Tony Stark is, except a few people. In 2008, nobody knew who Iron Man was. Uh, but with some of these characters, you don't need to, to do a big origin story. I feel like making WoW reset the danger is you're going to end up spending a lot of time retelling the same ground. Whereas right now you don't need to do that. And that's, that's one of the things I think would be a real problem with wow too. If they were going to do it lore wise, it's how much ground do you retread? Or do you just go into wow too? Like, you know, all this stuff happened, but now we're here. And so I think that's why one of the reasons I think of the expansions as wows two through set through, I think we're like, what, what current we're like patch nine. 9.1 is coming. Yeah. I, I honestly, you yep, know, yep, yep. so we're on wow nine now. Um, and I think that that approach works fine for world of Warcraft. It doesn't mean it couldn't, they couldn't do more. It doesn't mean they couldn't do a reset the way Warhammer did. I just think Joe is on the, is on the nose here when he says that it isn't necessary for world of Warcraft at this time. It's not the, the way they treat the lore in world of Warcraft. They don't need to like really prune anything because Cadgar just goes away when they don't need him. I mean, honestly, what is Cadgar doing? If you stop and think about it, we just, you know, why is he not here? He should be involved in this, but he's decided he's sitting out death invading Azeroth. You know what I mean? Like when when the World of Warcraft team feels like they don't need a story, they, they don't mind not doing it. And I think that that's a, that's a way that they can avoid having to hit the reset button by just being selective on what lore they feature. Yeah, and I and I think that makes a really good point, which is like again, Shadowlands I think is really the best example of here's new lore, here's pieces of old lore that can highlight or feed into this in some capacity without having to wipe all of that away. And I think I think that's really important that they can keep doing that. And if you didn't listen to our interview way back during BlizzCon when we had uh Steve on here and we were chatting with him about uh story development a little bit and and the path forward, they have an idea of where they want to go now they have a plan it's not haphazard like it was back in ye olden days where it was oh wow this game's actually still around we probably should figure out more story for it we didn't expect this um and you can kind of see that in some of the early transitions right but now they know where they want to go they know the stories that they want to tell so now being selective like matt's saying with what lore they highlight i think accomplishes the same thing in a better way a more constructive way than just blowing everything up and resetting I don't know if, if I'm remembering this right, and Joe's here, so he'll keep me honest, but I'm pretty sure that at one point, they didn't know what they were going to do after WoW. Like, they had not planned mm-hmm. for anything after WoW, and so it came down to, do we go to do we do we go to Outland and see Illidan, or do we go and fight Arthas? And that might have been the next expansion. They may have, they were seriously considering going to Northrend immediately that would have been the first expansion. It would have been something, I don't know if they would have called it Wrath of the Lich King, but that would have been the the next expansion was a trip to Northrend. It made sense because Northrend is on the same planet. You know, it was it was the next logical place to go. They decided to go to Outland instead. I think that was a really good move. I think so too. Um, but that's the kind of thing that they didn't, they didn't have a plan yet. They just, they they decided kind of on the fly within the span of a year. Okay, we need to figure out where we're going. There's There's roots. In in original WoW, there's there's keychains and stuff for um, a, a Dragon Isles raid and an Emerald Dream like, mm-hmm. exploration. They they had stuff in mind. They were planning on taking us to other places, and we still haven't seen either of those. Like the Emerald Dream, we've kind of seen bits and pieces of, but we never went there. It didn't become an expansion, and the Dragon Isles has never appeared in game. Like we've had it mentioned a few times, but that's it. Those were both things they were working on. If you look at the original uh, Northern Eastern Kingdoms map, where before the Ghostlands were put in, before uh, uh, Eversong Woods was put in, there's there were places that, on the map that were going to be the Dragon Isles, oh, and yeah. that's 
we forget that that stuff, you know, the, the, the game was developing kind of on as, as a, like a, it was like tottering down a cliff. It was like, Oh God, we're falling. We got to catch ourselves. Here's more stuff. And that's why I think that to a certain degree, there's still so much more they can do. I don't think it, there's an, it's, there's any kind of need for a reset. That's my, my take on it as of right now. Yeah. And like Matt said, like the, and I've iterated a couple times here, the idea that you have is good. I just don't think it needs to be a, blow up everything and start over idea and it can be something that maybe we explore because lore wise we know at some point we're going to have to deal with the void we know that we know that for a fact having something that involves sargeras with that and the pantheon makes a certain amount of sense that was his whole shtick to begin with that's why he was doing what he was doing uh whether or not he was manipulated there we also have the idea now in in Shadowlands that the Nathrezem were working for Denathrius and as a result the Jailer and they're the ones that helped Sargeras with his plans. They're the ones that helped show him what the universe, what was going on and, and everything else. There's more things there that can be called upon later to have something that centers around the Titans in a way that isn't Legion. That isn't just about demonic invasions and that can deal with the Void. There's little seeds that exist. They could do a very interesting story with it, and maybe they will. Uh, but I think we can move on to the other ones there from that one, which also, funnily enough, the next question deals with a little bit of Sargeras as well. Um, so this one's going to be from Floppy Robe, and we actually have two questions from him, or them, excuse me, who Floppy Robe is a Belf priest. Uh, Hello, Watchers. I was doing a Mog run through Tomb of Sargeras, and I realized I have no idea what the avatar of Sargeras is or was. Well, I mean, I have some idea, but I don't think I fully understand. What is the avatar of Sargeras? How did it get to Azeroth? How did Aegwyn defeat it? Why couldn't it be destroyed? Anyway, thanks in advance for answering my questions. And then the follow-up question, which plays into this, is uh, what's the deal with the Titan facility under the tomb? Did the Night Elves know about this when they built the Temple of Elune? And how did Aegwyn bind up the Avatar of Sargeras up down there? Did she know how to use Titan technology? Man, that's a... The Avatar of Sargeras is a long time ago. Um, where do you even begin with that? Okay, so about, I, I want to say roughly a thousand years ago. I, I'm not sure exactly the, the time frame on it. Um, actually, I guess it started with the Troll Wars, so closer to 2,000 years ago. Uh, the the humans of what was then the, the nascent Empire of Arathor, the first human kingdom, had been fighting their way out of barbarism for like thousands of years after the, the, the Sundering, after the uh, destruction of ancient Kalimdor, and after the, uh, the, the curse of flesh afflicted Vrykul had come south alongside the Titan Watcher Tyr um, and his allies... Uh, a bloody heck, I can't remember the name. Arcadeus and Ironia. They were they'd headed south to try and reach Olduar. They were trying to get to the Titan facility of Olduar. They they had with them at that time the, the true discs of Norgana, and they had stolen them from the supposed prime designate Loken, who had usurped his role and uh, had basically banished Odin using Helia's help. Uh, and in so doing, he had stolen him for himself the title of prime designate. He wasn't the appointed prime designate. He just had control of the, the for lack of a better word, he had the administrative password as a, a way to look at it. He had control of the system. He wasn't the true prime designate, but he was filling that role. The uh, Tyr, Archidaeus, Ionia, and other allies of theirs realized that this was wrong. And they're like, we can't leave the Dis of Nergannon in his hands. If we do, he'll do something to them. And they're, they contain all sorts of information about the state of the Azeroth experiment. We need to keep those away from him. So they, they headed south. Uh, Loken decided, well, I'm going to kill them so I can get those back. And he sent two Chithraxi after them. Uh, Zakajaz, and I can never remember the other one, but he's really important. Uh, can can you talk for a bit while I look them up? Uh, geez, where to begin or where to keep going on that one? Um so this is where where they were basically chased throughout the Eastern Kingdoms, right? Like they were chased through uh, what wanted to be in the Eastern Kingdoms by the Cathraxi, uh, and I think this is where Kithix. Kithix. His Kithix. name is Kithix. Okay, but didn't they? He eventually catches up with them at some point, right? And Tyr has uh, to stay behind. Kithix, Kithix and Zakajaz had caught up to Tyr, roughly where the tomb of Tyr is now, uh, which is going to be important. If you've noticed, there's lots of places named after Tyr in the Eastern Kingdoms. There's a reason for that. There's Tear's Hand. Uh, there's Tear's Fall. The Tear's Fall Glades. It's literally Tear's Fall. It just, over time, the name changed. What happened was that those two 
those two uh, Chithraxi, who are incredibly powerful, uh, caught up with Tyr and his his allies, including a whole bunch of Rykul that were suffering from the curse of flesh and were slowly turning into humans. Uh, and a bunch they they basically caught up with them in what is now uh, Terrasfall Glade. Tyr is like, okay, Arcadis, uh, you can't. We cannot allow you to be caught. You're like the great architect of of our people, and you and I and I have to take the disc of Nagannon and take these earthen with you and these, these Rykul and, and run. Some of the uh, Rykul stayed with Tyr to help fight, but they were of no real use. They just, they weren't powerful enough to do much of anything. So Tyr had them just go hide and he took on the two Jithraxi himself in hand-to-hand combat. He wounded one so greatly that it was effectively dead. Uh, that's the one Zakajaz. He, he beat him to basic death. Kithix, however, managed to gravely wound Tyr before Tyr could, could injure him back in return. Kithix stalked off south and ended up uh, basically where he ended up became where the Gurubashi Troll Empire was. And keep in mind, all of this was taking place this is before the Sundering. Mm-hmm. Absolutely all of this is taking place in ancient Kalimdor. Um Tyr is so wounded, he, his, uh, the few remaining human, the, the, the ancestors of humans, the Vrykul that were there, built him a tomb. And that tomb is the one that you see in, in Legion when you go. Various artifact weapons lead to the Tyr of Tomb, which is in a lake uh, in Terrasfall Glades. And that's where a lot of humani- human civilization comes from that area. Uh, the, the ancestors of, um, I believe his name is Lordain, uh, th- th- that's where they lived. Which is where so Lordaeron comes from. Yeah, Lordaeron comes from Lordaeron. And that whole thing happened way, way before. That's that's the beginning of the fall of, of Vrykul civilization in the Eastern Kingdoms. Uh, and it took them from that until the Sundering, then after the Sundering, many, many thousands of years for them to build up a society. But they finally managed to redo it. Um, and they were led by by a, a man named Arathor. And he's the one that created the Empire of Arathor. And it was them who, who fought the trolls during the Troll War. This is all, I swear to God, this has all got a point. During that time, the humans learned magic from the High Elves. They, that was the deal they made with the High Elves to help them against the trolls. Uh, they would provide their military support, They would their armies. The, the humans were proven troll killers. To the point where one of the, the greatest warriors on the human side was literally named Troll Killer. Like, there's a weapon called Troll Kalar. That the trolls, that's troll killer in troll, that they called it that because of how good the humans were at killing trolls. The trolls and humans hated each other. Uh, trolls, however, hated the elves even more. And so that's kind of why the humans and the elves teamed up. Elves taught the humans magic. Humans took to magic very quickly, much faster than the elves were expecting them to. And a hundred mages trained by the elves became kind of the, the, the foundation of the human military at this time. And this was what led to the ultimately the creation of Dalaran. Now, at that time, the uh, Council of Terrasval was like a secret organization kind of behind the scenes within the heart of, of Dalaran. And they were like not the council that ruled Dalaran. They were completely separate. They were like they, they, they were made of human and elven and other mages. Like there were some gnomes in there, too, who were realized all this magic we're using is a problem. It attracts attention. Things from outside can find our world because we're using magic, and we need somebody to police it and make sure that it doesn't get worse. And that's where the concept of the the Guardian of Terrasfall comes from. Uh, the Guardian of Terrasfall is an appointed position, and it existed for quite some time, where the various members of the Council of Terrasfall would each devote a tiny piece of their own power to this one figure. And thus, as a result... That figure was empowered by the by the like you know concentrated magical might of many many mages, and the guardian basically existed to prevent things like demons and monstrosities from beyond Azeroth invading the world, and they did the job for a very long time. At, what happened would, would happen every every count every guardian would be given that power, they would use it for a time and then they would give it back, and the power would be then entrusted into somebody else. Over the eons, the power of the Guardian of Tearsfall, because so many had you contributed to it, it was given and then taken back and given and taken back and new people would contribute to it. It became like an almost elemental force. The Guardian was enormously powerful. If you look at Medivh, when Medivh was Guardian, he was he was a force to be reckoned with. Like he was 
so much more powerful than the average mage. It was it was ridiculous. And so over time, as various guardians rose and fell, the Council of Tirisfall and the guardians had kind of a a contentious relationship where sometimes the council basically used the, the guardian like a puppet, like in, in trust, you know, expected them to go forth and fight their battles for them and then just give the power back and then go back to being just a normal mage. And they had various different ways over, over the, the, the years of deciding who got to be guardian. But I think at this point, I'm going to see if Joe wants to talk about Aegwin because when we come to Aegwin is when things get really interesting here. So Aegwin was uh, known by many titles, the the penultimate, the only woman, the most, and arguably before Medivh, possibly even considering Medivh, the most powerful uh, guardian of of Trisfall that had ever existed, right? Um, so in particular, Aegwin, uh, she was Lauron. Um, basically, she was a human. She was trained in magic. Uh, by Magna Scavel, who I think was all the Guardian before her. Um, and she was just insanely powerful. Um, but one of the first things that she experienced in her tenure as a Guardian was a demonic fight. And she, I can never pronounce the name. It's like Zamol, Zamdolor or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, it's Zamoldor or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was a horrific battle, not just because it was a demon, but it was a demon who was possessing children. <laughs> so Egwin had to basically get in there and uh, kill the demon uh, before basically they could do anything like long term to the children. And she was known for being essentially, I don't want to say like rash or quick, um, but she was often admonished for her way of dealing with things just because she dealt with things. She dealt with things as quickly as she possibly could because that was her job. Um, there was a point too, which is, I think it's before the first war, um, where Awen went to Northrend. Uh, basically to seek out a hunting party of demons uh, that were essentially stalking and killing dragons. Um, and this is about the time where she was really starting to become like a master of the, uh, what they would call essentially the cosmic power of uh, Trisfall at this point. Uh, she gets up there, she realizes, oh, there's a ton of powerful demons and this is bad. So she goes up there, starts dealing with them. And uh, I think it was one of the last surviving dragon flights up there at the time were being hunted. So and they were being drained of their magic by these these demons. Uh, yeah, I think it, it was, was. I was to give you an idea of how long this was. This was a solid eight hundred or so years before the first war. Yeah. You know, and so Aegwin ended up. I think her tenure as guardian was close to a thousand years. Give or take, because th that's the thing too with the guardian's power, right? It it renders you nigh immortal almost. Uh, at least, at least it does not cause you to be affected by the t the power of aging, which makes sense with chronomancy being a thing as it is in the the game world. More powerful you are, probably the more out of the time stream you actually are. Uh, but it was during this battle where she starts fighting all of these gigantic, like powerful demons and throwing around this immense power that we start getting to the point of, I believe it was a sound that split the air as if a mace cracking a skull. Uh, and then appearing before her was the Avatar of Sargeras. Now, the Avatar of Sargeras at this point is Sargeras's bid to try to figure out how to get to Azeroth without being able to pass through a portal. The last time they tried to do that, it didn't work out so well. Uh, the whole sundering and everything that happened with that, kind of a good indicator of why you shouldn't be, you know, going through those types of portals. And that was not dealing with him going through, and he's a titan. So he realizes, well, I'm not going to be able to get something that powerful up and running for me to get there, and it's going to take me a long time to get across the universe to get there, so I'm going to figure out something else. And I believe it is where he reaches out to the Eridar, and I believe the Eridar were the ones that created the Jeweled Scepter of Sargeras, uh, which allowed him to create portals to any realm he desired, but the rifts that they created would only let him shove a portion of his soul through. Um, so when you see the Avatar of Sargeras, that's essentially what he did. Ripped a hole through time and space and shoved a piece of his soul through it as an Avatar that he could walk around on that planet without completely destroying it. Uh, you want to understand the basic concept of, of how this works. It's actually not that different from the Titan forged. Mm -hmm. 
if you look at the various Titan Forge beings like Odin or Tyr or, or Thorim or any of them, or uh, when Agrimar, when you see Agrimar, uh, when you're doing Legion content and Agrimar comes down, that's not Agrimar. That's an avatar. Mm-hmm. The true, the true original physical form of Agrimar was planet-sized. Sargeras's actual physical form is a planet. It's planet-sized. That's that's the thing of all the Titans. They come out of planets. We don't know exactly how it works, but we know that that's how the, the first uh, Amanthul rose as a, a, a an intelligent thinking planet-sized entity. That's how they all come into being. That's why Sargeras couldn't just you know walk through a normal portal to Azeroth. He's as big as Azeroth. You saw when Sargeras, in his full manifestation, attempted to reach Azeroth at the end of Legion. You saw how big he was. He was that orange cloud that was enveloping the planet. That was him. Yeah. When they pull him out of it, you'll notice that he's big enough that you know you can see him striding across like the entire world that's the scale we're talking about the avatar is much smaller obviously it's still massive and so massively powerful because it is yeah. a portion of the it's a portion of a titan uh, and what happened with the fight with Aegwin is Aegwin basically ch- attempted to use an entity called aluneth in the fight against sargeras uh, if you play a mage you would have you got a chance to use aluneth you understand what aluneth was Aleneth was essentially an extra-dimensional being of some type that had incredible arcane power, uh, and it ultimately would not follow her commands. So she abandoned it and summoned Atiesh, which was the original staff of the great of the various guardians, and used that instead. With all of her power, she could she could destabilize, she could effectively kill the Avatar, but she wasn't confident that it would stay dead. And she didn't. It took all she had to get it to go inert, basically. She didn't have enough power it, to kill it and it, destroy it, the body. And to give you an idea of the the scope of power, like the arcane storm that raged around Aegwyn and Sargeras was so powerful that even the dragons couldn't get anywhere near the conflict. So as it happened, it was basically those two fighting it out in the eye of like this gigantic arcane storm as they battled back and forth. Like that's immensely powerful. Yeah, keep in mind that dragon flights, you know, we're talking I I mean, we don't know based on the story, we don't know if any of the actual like avatars, like the you know the the, the uh like, aspects. We don't know if yeah we don't know if any of the aspects actually tried to get through. But if a dragon flight by itself these guys were hunting dragons. The idea that they didn't do anything, no, they just couldn't. They couldn't get at it. They, the two of them were just releasing enough power to make it impossible for dragons to get to them. And that's kind of insane. It, it just huh, There's just so much force was released there that even she couldn't do more, and it was not enough to destroy the corpse. And the worst part was the corpse was still leaking like pure fell energy into the world. And she thought of like she had the full library resources of of the entire of the guardians. Every guardian had been appointed. They they built their own library over the years. She had access to all that information, all that lore, and that's why she found like this reference to this one place and went to the tomb of Sargeras, like, it, which at the time was the Temple of Elune, because she had records from the Highborn of their time during the the the, uh, the War of the Ancients. That's the thing. High we, high elf lore goes back to the Sundering, mm-hmm. and because they were they were uh, they were part of the Night Elves at the time. They were part of the the Calderai Empire. They're the ones that broke away and and turned against the Legion and said, "No, this is crazy. We're not going to do it." So they had like the the whole idea of the Broken Isles, Suramar, all of that. That was stuff they had access to. That's stuff she had access to because of it. That's how she knew it was there. Um, I think this ties into. The second follow-up question, though, I think so too. And we don't we don't know for sure what the night elves knew about that place or what they thought about it. Um, they seem they certainly seem to think it's related to a loon. And not, don't forget, like the only way that we can they they think that's related to a loon, probably based off of where its location was. And going through there, there does look like there's a a pulpit. There is a place that looks like it was a place of worship. But when we go there as part of a raid, we see that they've they didn't know that there was uh, ways to unlock deeper portions of it, at least not that they were aware of. We didn't know until we brought the pillars of creation there to basically well, get the, the lowdown from Aegwin's, uh 
arcane epic form that, oh, by the way, do this, put this key here and turn it this way. Now you can go here. Yeah, that's the thing. We don't know that they didn't know. We, we have no idea. They knew about the, the, the Pillars of Creation, which I keep wanting to call Pillars of Eternity because that game came out around the same time. Yep. Um, but we, we don't know what they knew. That's the thing. Is there's, there's nothing preserved about what... Obviously, when you go deeper into the tomb, their ghosts are there and they, they have some awareness. But And for that matter, um, when the, the Naga show up and they're invading the, the tomb, the Temple of, of Elun, the Tomb of Sargeras, they're aware of, of ancient passages into it because, of course, they are. Mm-hmm. They're the highborn too. There's so much to the the, the Temple of Elune that we don't know about. Like we we've never had any stories about it. We don't know how it you know exactly what was going on. But in terms of what the the temple was built to do, it seems to be part of the entire the entire network of Titan facilities that were built when the the end of the war with the old gods had come and gone, and it was. Amonthul reached down and ripped the Ashraj out of Azeroth. And the original Well of Eternity was the wound created by him doing that. And keep in mind that Suramar was on the banks. It was on the other side of the Well of Eternity from Zinashari, which was the capital city that had originally been named Alundris, the Eye of Alun. And then it got its name changed to Zinashari because Ashar was so ridiculously powerful as a, as a sorceress that she could control minds and have people worshipped her as a living goddess. And she was basically like, we don't really need that Aloon person all that much, so we'll just call it after me now. Um, but that's like, all of that's part of why the temple was built. The temple was clearly part of the process of trying to heal the wound dealt to Azeroth during that war. That's the, Every Titan facility on Azeroth is part and parcel of that process. They were trying to heal Azeroth, because remember the Titan inside the planet, that's what the Titans cared about. Mm-hmm. And they, they wounded it in the process. I mean, obviously it had to be done. They Previously, the only thing the Titans had ever done about the old god manifestations was destroy them. When Sargeras found an, an, a world corrupted by an old god, he killed the Titan inside it to prevent it from being corrupted. And that act broke him. Like That's the moment where Sargeras lost the plot, so to speak. It wasn't that the, the existence of the old gods by themselves, it was the fact that he couldn't figure out a way to cleanse the corruption and felt he had no choice but to destroy an, one of his own kind. And once he'd done that, everything was like, well, this we can't save this universe. It's it's foul and corrupted. We have to we have to go scorched earth. We have to burn everything and start over. But the other Titans were trying this other thing, like, no, we can we can totally save this one. This one's really powerful. We can just we can get the old gods. We can like we can, we obviously can't kill them. That's bad. So we'll just contain them and we'll build this system of of Titan facilities that will repair the planet. As for why Aegwyn thought it was a good idea to stick the Avatar Sargeras in one of them, I don't know. It, it's so for that matter. Well, just because we, 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 we know what the Titans were doing doesn't mean Aegwyn did. Yeah, and I was going to say, don't forget, during that time frame, it wasn't known that Sargeras was a Titan. Nobody knew that. Like, if anything, Sargeras was just viewed, especially the Avatar Sargeras, as King of Demons. And I think that is the original reference to him in, like, to sort of, like take out of the game universe stuff during world of warcraft and world of warcraft 2 whenever like you start talking about it there is sort of this king of demons speech uh and when they raise the uh tomb of sargeras as an island uh in warcraft 2 that that's what they talk about like they don't talk about sargeras being a titan titans didn't exist yet and so if you take that with a grain of salt and look at 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 aegwin she might not have known that he was a Titan. She might not have had any of that information, especially when you consider where would that information would have come from, from the high elf lore, maybe uh, from the uh, discs that we know some of that information was falsified from the Titan watchers that existed, uh, that were still there, like Loken, who was already corrupted and not probably wouldn't be volunteering a whole lot of information. Uh, she probably just thought he was a demon. And so sealing him away in that type of facility would be keeping that body away from the touch of the twisting nether, which at this point they believe that demons go back to the twisting nether to regenerate. And that as long as they can get back there, they can't truly be killed. So 
it's kind of a neat way of, of summing up the the idea that like demons sort of expanded over the course of the many years of the game, but they just didn't know. They didn't have enough information. It wasn't like they sat there and interrogated demons. That wasn't their job. Their job was to kick them off the, the planet, to destroy them and send them packing and make sure that they didn't come back uh, or as much as possible. So knowing that the facility existed, knowing that it was there, but not necessarily knowing what it was, or, or maybe fully acting, that could be it. Or she could have had knowledge of it. We don't know, because during her tenure as the Guardian, she had access to all of that information, but she also, like, let's go back to Aleneth. Aleneth is a multidimensional creature. We don't know what information she got out of that after she bound it to that staff. Because, again, it didn't, she it didn't want to help her, but it didn't have a choice. Right. And she bound it. Like, that was, she, that, that was her thing, right? It wasn't the... the Tears Fall uh, Council, the Council of Tears Fall, it wasn't any of them. It was her. So if you were trying to keep a king of demons that you think you killed, but the body didn't disappear like the other demons do, uh, and you're afraid that it's going to come back if it can touch anything that touches the Twisting Nether, locking it away in a secure facility miles below the surface of, of Azeroth seems like a dang good idea. Because if you know that it's there, you know that it's a facility... That is supposed to be, you know, for like, I keep using secure, but isolated. Yeah. Shove it in there. Then it can't regenerate. I mean, if you look at the uh, story that, that opens the, the Legion intro story where um, Gul'dan comes to the tomb to uh, use it to create a portal, there's, the, there's an enormous concentration of ley line power in that area. Um, the Temple of Elune is the nexus of an enormous web. And you even hear that from the Highborn. I mean, not the Highborn, the Nightborn, the Night El, the, yeah, the Nightborn. Uh, when they, they're, they're talking about their, their travel network, it was built around that nexus. Originally, there was this enormous nexus of power there. And when they lose it, they had to replace it with the Nightwell because they needed the, they needed the ley lines so powerful. The, the power of the ley lines were so necessary to them. That area is literally like, it's like you want to keep demons from finding this thing. Well, this is like this place is so blindingly powerful that anybody looking for this demon thing it, isn't going to see it. It's it's literally in the middle of this enormous network of power, and she could use that enormous network of power to bind it. And, she didn't and, have to use her own power because that enormous nexus. And it's not until you start seeing uh, Malagos mess with ley lines that you really start to get the sense of why the area around the Well of Eternity was so powerful because it was all being fed into Azeroth. And, and, and it, you know, it, so go ahead. I was going to say, if you think about it, her plan worked, right? Like they, they kind of knew where he was after years of searching and leverage and trying to figure out like where the most likely place would have been. You know, hence Gul'dan getting promised and being sent to go essentially open the tomb and, and do the thing in the second game. But her plan worked. The Avatar didn't regenerate. It didn't become active until we got in there. And I think it was Kill Jaden. I think it was, yeah, it was Kill Jaden. Kill Jaden did his thing to sort of jumpstart the Avatar. It was dormant that entire time. And the demons up until Legion couldn't get into it. They couldn't touch it. The Eridar couldn't touch it. They couldn't get there. So her plan worked. Like it, it seems goofy and it seems weird. But it worked, so something to keep in mind. She wasn't she wasn't wrong. She just wasn't one hundred percent right. Working on the best information she had. Yeah. In terms of the Avatar, like what I what you know what it is. It got to Azeroth because of the jeweled scepter of Sargeras. It was literally like a Titan. It was a the Legion's version of a Titan Forge creation. Um, Aegwin defeated it by throwing raw magic at it until it finally fell down. Um, at that one point, she was throwing so much magic at it that dragons couldn't even get near them. It couldn't be destroyed because it was literally just infused with Sargeras, a portion of Sargeras's soul. Um, and it was corrupting the area around it. That's why she locked it up. But in terms of the deal with the Titan facility under the tomb of Sargeras, we only know that it was a Titan facility and therefore it was part of the attempt to heal Azeroth. We don't know what the Night Elves knew about it. We don't know how much of it they knew about it. They don't seem to have been aware of the area underneath the altar, but at the same time, 
that seems to be a pretty fundamental part of the altar's principle, if you get my, my meaning. There are murals on the walls of the pillars of creation being wielded by night elves. Now, did, did are those new? Like, the, you know, there's there's a lot we don't understand about this. Also, if the temple was created or was a facility created before elves existed, which is one of the operating theories, did the elves form those murals themselves or did the facility mold itself to the most likely denizen that was developing around it? Because did the, in fact, did the, the, uh, dark trolls, no, 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 no. Did the tomb already have images of night elves in it before night elves existed because night elves are supposedly created in the shape of a loon and those are representations of a loon? Mm-hmm. that we don't know these are these are all things we don't know we don't know how long it took the evolution of dark trolls into into night elves like we know it happened but we don't know how long it took we don't know why if you look at other entities that have been exposed to the waters with with an essence like the the uh, well of eternity um the ones from the the veil of eternal blossoms turned into the jinyu mm-hmm. what do the jinyu look like fish night elves they have the exact same body type. Yeah, no, that's pretty true. So, is that just a principle of being exposed to the the power of the Well of Eternity? Slash, you know, the reason that the waters of the of the Vale of Eternal Blossoms have the effect they have is because an, a Titan's essence went into them, but it wasn't the same Titan's essence. It was Amon Thule's essence that went into those waters. It's the essence of Azeroth that goes through the Well of Eternity. So, th- this. This, this in the in the words of Hermes Conrad, that just raises further questions. <laughs> um, it does, but I mean, I don't even know what to say besides that. So like, that's sort of like the fun of this is that we still don't know everything about that. We don't know everything about it, and that that's it's stuff we can discover later, especially now that Suramar and that entire region is back open. Like that's a that's a, something that we haven't had in so long, right? Like Alessandra kept that entire region so locked down for so long that we're just now starting to dig through their archives to figure out what they know. There's just now starting to be a relationship between uh, the Nightborn and the rest of the world, which now gives you know at least on the horde side access to potentially some of that information and i can't believe that the alliance would not be privy to some of that at some point uh there's going to be more that gets found out about this as time goes on and that's sort of exciting because i want to know more about the temple of Alun. i want to know more about what happened to it why it was the way it was because like if it it being the Tomb of Sargeras, it was underwater for a very long time. As a matter of fact, until Gul'dan number one raised it, it didn't exist as a landmass. It had to be raised from the, the floor of the ocean uh, before it ever existed. If you look at it, you'll notice that it's part of the, it's not part of Suramar. It's a separate it, thing. But it's got a bridge going to Suramar. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's part of the Broken Isles, which themselves all apparently were underwater. That's the part that Gul'dan raised, and so that's that's something worth considering. Like, why was that area outside of Surmar when they created the dome? Because it cost them access to the ley lines. Yeah, did they do they that had, intentionally? They had to, yeah, they might have done that on purpose to prevent the demons from coming through. Because the demons used those ley line nexuses to create portals powerful enough for them to all step through. Yeah, and then they isolated themselves and had the Eye of Amonthul as sort of their own well, right? Like, they had their own power to sort of circumvent the ley lines, and it was was that a decision that they made not to just, you know, cut themselves off, but because that was the safest option for them? And, I mean, we won't know because we killed, we, we murdered Alessandra, so we, we might not ever know what the decision was made for that, so yeah, who knows? Um, anything else you want to add on that one? No, we've... we've- Going on for- <laughs> and I think it is funny because at the beginning of this, I was worried that we weren't going to have enough questions to fill up an hour, but three questions did the trick. So thank you very much to Floppy Robe uh, and Dante for fueling some of our speculation there. Uh, but Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. 
questions. And again, if you do have questions for this podcast or the other podcasts, send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, hit us up on one of our multiple Discord channels. If you're a Patreon supporter, the Patreon Q and Podcast Questions channel. Uh, if you're not a Patreon supporter, we do have the Q Questions channel, which we will look at for uh, questions here. And uh, with that, I guess we'll see you guys next week. And uh, make sure you tune in if you're listening to this after the after the fact on uh, for the live show for the Blizzard Watch podcast. I think we're gonna have more to talk about there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.